Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the uh, Promptly Written Podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Chigarek, and with me is Ian Lewis. Say hi, Ian. Hey. Um, this is our second episode. Um, if you go back and listen to the first one, we actually said we labeled it episode zero. And then when I went to submit it to Apple Podcasts, they wouldn't let me call it episode zero. They made me call it episode one. My OCD is not going to let me um, continue that. Like when I upload the episodes, I'm not going to be able to be like, well, this is number one, but it's really number two. I can't do it. So what we're doing is we're skipping episode one. This is episode two. We're going from zero to two. I don't care. We make the rules. That's how it's going to go. Sound good? (laughs) The old thing. So, um, I would like to thank everybody uh, for the uh, the really positive feedback for the first episode, you know. Um, I did run into some audio issues um, when we recorded. We recorded uh, together in the same room, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it was a setting or just, you know, something wasn't uh, quite set up right, but I had a lot of my voice in your mic, Ian. And it made it kind of a bear to to edit the episode because uh, I couldn't really move stuff around the way I wanted to. So today we're in separate places. We're recording separately. Uh, I think we're going to be good. Um, so I would just uh, like to ask everybody to just kind of bear with us. We're still kind of getting into the swing of things here, and it's just going to keep improving. It's not going to get worse. So if episode zero is the worst that it was going to be, I'm totally fine with it because I think it actually turned out pretty good. So we originally were looking to launch this in January of 2019. But I think that that once we um, we recorded the first episode and listened to it, like I think both of us were just too excited. We had to get it out there. So we put it out there early. And uh, I think what we're going to do is we are going to look to drop the new episodes on the first Monday of every month. So this one came out a little early because I wasn't sure if if the iTunes approval process was going to take a while. And it ended up taking like, I don't know, what was it, like 15 minutes or something? Yeah, it was quick. <laughs> like I, I read all this stuff online. It was like, it could take up to a week. So I was like, I want to make sure it's there for the Monday. So we do. And then like 10, 10, 15 minutes after I submitted it, it was like, you're live. I'm like, sweet. So... <laughs> I am I am super stoked. I love this. And it, it's actually kind of crazy how much I enjoy just sitting here at this desk, talking to my computer screen into this microphone. It's nuts. So uh, I'm really having fun. We would have rec- this is funny story. Speaking of audio problems. This is actually the second time we're recording this episode because we recorded the first time we lost a recording. Uh, another one of the recordings was all messed up. So this is actually like round two. And I'm super stoked to do it all over again. So um yeah. Yeah, it's, we've taken into account some of the, those uh, suggestions that some of the early listeners have given us. Matt Sullivan, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Hello, Matt Sullivan. We love feedback. Talk to us. Uh, we're going to get you like a bunch of different ways to to interact with us a little bit later, but we're going to make you listen to the whole episode before we get you there. Um, so... Before we get into the stories, there was just like a couple of things I thought that we might be able to talk about before we get into it. Are you cool with that? Yeah, great. Okay. So um, the first thing I just wanted to ask you real quick, like um, for last month's story, my I had mine done for, I don't know, I want to say like a good few weeks before we even recorded that episode. Was yours about the same? Yeah, mine was done pretty quick. 
So I actually like revised that story quite a bit before I read it. So like it was pretty much final. Like, have you made any changes or anything, or was that pretty much what you what you? No, read? no, that was that was it. Um, okay. I I, I kind of wanted to see how quick I could crank out a story. Um, sure. Assuming that month to month I'm going to be under a time crunch because obviously I'm writing other stuff at the same time and. Right. You know, this isn't my full time full time gig. So, sure. yeah, it, it took me about I think between writing and editing about two weeks to, to do the whole thing. But I okay. think given, you know, given a time crunch, I think I could crank these out in a week a piece probably. Yeah, I know. Um, I think the first one took me a little long because I, I just, I don't know. I wanted to like hit a home run right out the gate. So I like, I went over it a lot and a lot. Like what I actually put it down pretty quick, but like I revised the hell out of that one. So yeah, this I, one. I didn't do, I didn't do a lot of revising with mine. Oh, okay. It, it it was okay. it, it it was kind of organic and uh, well I guess well if you remember it was straight from a dream so sure you know it sure. was kind of already plotted out in that sense yeah absolutely so um, I know just the one I'm about to read today was like I definitely didn't have as much time to you know sit on it usually my process involves like getting everything written down and then I try to like separate myself from it for a while so I can come back with like fresh eyes this one had none of that this one was pretty much like I did it I wrote it. I read it. So it sounds like my story this month is is a lot like your story was last month. Okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm interested to hear it for the second time, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear it. So let's see. Um, oh, and another thing that I was actually kind of conscious of while I was writing this second story is while I was writing, especially... I guess there was a little bit of dialogue in the story that we're about to read today, but like um, I was very conscious of the fact that I was going to be reading the story out loud. So if there were sentences that kind of felt weird to me or whatever, I actually would read out, like talk to myself out loud just to make sure. Did, did the fact that we're reading these like have any, did it change your approach to your writing process at all? I mean, a, a, a little bit, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when you put something in print and somebody picks it up and reads it, there's there's still a little bit of a sense of detachment there, you know what I mean? Sure. sure. Um, you're not you're not actually reading it, so depending on your character's viewpoint or what they're saying, um, and, you know, in, in this case, you know, obviously you have friends, family, coworkers, and complete strangers listening to you talking, and so right. As fun as that is, or not fun as that is, um, you know, you're you're also reading your work, so you're almost, um, you know, doubly vulnerable if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. No, I think I get what you're saying. Yeah, I know, like, you know, I came I came back into this, like I mentioned, uh, the first episode through screenwriting. So, like, I often say my dialogue out loud just to make sure it sounds like somebody would actually say it. Sure. But, like, some sometimes just in the description, I would be like, I'm going to have to read this, and this is kind of a tongue twister, so maybe I need to change my, my wording a little bit so that it comes yeah, out a little easier. I get some of that. Sometimes, although not, not in this uh, case, but, you know, some some of my stuff – you know, the, the characters are kind of like, uh, you know, quasi-rural type characters. And so they, you know, they might speak with a certain type of inflection. And so, you know, when I read it in my head, that's how it sounds to me. But you feel kind of silly, you know, talking like a hillbilly or something <laughs> or, 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 or <laughs> well, whatever it is. Right. I, gotta, I mean, I, the last story technically was from the point of an Englishman. So I, you know, obviously sure. didn't didn't do it with an accent, but right. very well could have. Well, you know, I actually... Um... I started a new class this week, and just because of the the speed that I need to crank out some of these readings, I um I do my readings like on the Kindle and 
uh, via audiobook, so I can like keep going while I'm in the car, and the Kindle and the audio and Audible like match up real nice, so that like I can stop on the Kindle and then go to my car and pop it open on the app, and it just picks up where I left off reading. Mm-hmm. So it's cool, but like I was listening, and even though I wouldn't say that there's like voice acting in audiobooks, but there's definitely like voices for characters. Like when mm-hmm. when there were certain characters, like the woman who was reading this book had a distinct voice for every character. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see if that's something that we start doing it, well, as we had, progress. I was thinking about that uh, the other day. I, I think if I had more confidence in my in my voice acting ability, I, I might sure. give it a stab. But I, I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around listening to myself recorded. Yeah, I get you. I, I still don't like that. <laughs> you've got the you've got more of the radio voice, and and I certainly do not. But well. Well, I appreciate that. Um, no, I like I can't see myself doing accents because like I'm not even I'm not even I'm not even going to do you the pleasure of attempting it because it's bad. Like if I try to do a British accent, you're going to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I, it's just like if there's a female character, I don't want to be like, well, here we go. Like I can't. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm curious to see if that if that evolves as we go, if we tend to take like a more audiobook approach or reading. Now, I'm going to give you a little hint in this uh, in the story I'm about to read today there might be a little music that I add in after the fact because there's like a little piano playing going on and I might like soup it up a little bit. So we'll see what's going on. Um, so yeah. Um, another thing that I wanted to throw out to the listeners, this is, we've already had this discussion private, uh, like off offline, but um, just a little hint into like our process. Um, all of my first drafts are handwritten. I'm a fountain pen geek. I like using my pens. I like using my paper. So all of my first drafts are handwritten. They're scribbled out. Um, and then I type them into the computer. Ian, you do not do that. Is that? No, <laughs> no. To me, that's a complete and utter waste of time. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't have that kind of time and everything's got to be, you know, portable for me because I, I write on lunch and that kind of thing. And you know they make notebooks um, in all different sizes. I'm just well, I can't be. Cha- I can't there. be changed. Well, you know what? I have it. I do have a notebook that I used to write um, random ideas in uh, okay. when I first started writing. And actually, um, this month's prompt, interestingly enough, came from that notebook. Um, but I, I actually See? have not put much in it for quite some time. I am almost entirely electronic in that sense. Gotcha. Digital, rather. That's not the gotcha. right word, but. Well, I don't want to go off on this too much because I think me and you could go back and forth on handwriting versus typing like <laughs> for quite some time. But I do want to hear from the listeners, for you writers out there, I want to know if I'm in as big of a minority as I think I am or if there's others who are crazy out, out there like me who like to handwrite their stuff before it gets into the computer. Uh, what I do like about handwriting is I feel like I'm a little more conscientious of the words that I'm writing down because I don't want to scribble stuff out because I'm like really anal retentive about some certain about well okay about mostly everything but um i don't like scribbles and mistakes so like i really want to like make sure so that kind of drives me nuts um whereas when i'm typing like if i was to type a draft out which i which i still do if i need to pop out something quick but i find myself editing a lot more while i'm writing and hitting backspace a lot more than i would be if i was writing the other stuff down so um but i want the listeners to to tell us what they do and tell me if i'm nuts or um, if there's more, more people like me out there and just one last thing, just because of the time of year that we're in right now, um, when this episode drops, I think we're going to be right at the start of national novel writing month, otherwise known as NaNoWriMo. Um, I have attempted to do this 
in the past and failed miserably almost immediately. Um, Ian, do you subscribe to any of this NaNoWriMo stuff or no? I, I don't. I've never got into it. Um, I, I, I really feel like it, I know this isn't the right word, but it, the whole concept sort of preys upon the the person who isn't really, in a lot of cases, a, a, an aspiring writer. Um, I think if if you want to write, don't wait till November to do it. You just you just you're just going to write. You know. The other thing I think is that in, unless you're really um, like a prodigy or something, and and some people can do this. Um, I I certainly can't, but I, I don't really. I don't believe you can crank out a novel in a month, um, at least anything of quality. Um, I I think it's, it's it's a longer process than that. You know, even if you had your your outline up front, it it's going to take you longer. And so, to me, in some cases, unless you know what you're getting into, I feel like it sets people up for failure because, you know, they they think they want to write, they they take that month to sit down and try to crank something out, and then when they don't end up with a novel at the end, is there like some kind of built-in sense of failure? I, I don't know. That That's just sort of my, my perspective on it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I did um, have the opportunity to, it was, I'll see if I can find a link to this and put it in the show notes, but Grant Faulkner, who's like the, uh, the creator of NaNoWriMo, if you will, I think he's the creator. If not, he's like way up on like the leadership or, you know, whatever. I think he's the creator. We're going to go with creator. If I'm wrong, you, whatever, you can Google it and find out yourself and then just think I'm an idiot. But um, he was saying that essentially, I don't know if he's necessarily. I, okay, so you 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 said that you didn't think this is, was the right word, and I'm going to agree with it. That's the right word, but I'm not. I can't come up with anything better. But he's not necessarily preying on like the non-aspiring writers. But it's it's not like a malicious thing. It's just I, I think right. it, it's it's a it's a false like. Uh... Um, pe- people go into it with like maybe a, a false assumption of what they're going to end up with on, on, on the back end. And, and again, maybe, maybe some people can do it. Um, but, but I would also think that the person who's a prodigy enough to write a good novel in a month doesn't need to wait for November to do it. They're, they're going to do that anyway. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I think what, what he was trying to get across in his talk was the fact that it, it, he's not necessarily saying that everybody who does this, you crank out 50,000 words in a month, which is something like 1,600 words a day, which is kind of a tall order if you think about it. But um, it's not necessarily to to end November with something that you can hand into a publisher. Well, sure. It's like it's you take that month to get your story down on paper and just like use that. And then after that, then you go and spend the next, you know, year or six editing and getting it ready to to go. Uh, it was a really good talk, and I think he was actually really inspiring for people who may not have the motivation to go out and just do it themselves. I'll see if I can find the video. If I can find it, I'll throw it in the show notes. If not, just, uh, I don't know, go look for it. He's, he does a bunch of talks. Hopefully, I'll find something similar that we can link to. But Yeah, yeah it's, it's I mean, write, writing is a discipline, and it's sort of a solitary task, so you you have to be committed to it and you know if if you treat it as an exercise to just get in the habit of writing daily i think that's probably a good thing to do um just to see what it would take cuz cuz really you know f- you know aside from you know a few days here or there i mean if you're writing seriously you're going to be writing almost every day in some capacity right. whether you get a paragraph out or a couple pages and i think if you approach it from the perspective of just trying to learn a discipline then i think it's a good thing but to go into it with any kind of pretense of a writing 
a, a, a good novel, you know, you might right. be able to write a quote unquote novel, but is, is it a good novel in a month? I'd be hard pressed to say it isn't. Again, sure. there's, there's the exceptions, but the, the person who's going to be, uh, drawn into that type of process as a, as a beginner probably won't end up with that result. I, I think. Yeah, I can, I can, I can agree with that. I personally, I, I'm going to try to do it this year. Um, I can tell you right now, um, I don't have a novel in mind. I, what I have is a bunch of, I have a series of short stories that have been piling up that I plan on just working on. Um, and so I'm going to use NaNoWriMo as an excuse to make sure that I am writing every single day. And it might not be 1600 words. It might just be like, okay, well, there's this story and I need to develop this character a little bit so that I can kind of get in his head and get it going. And as long as I feel like I'm making progress into getting something done, I'm going to consider it excess. I just, I just really want like a check mark next to my day that's saying, yes, I wrote every day in November and I'm going to see what happens. So um, by the time our next episode comes out, I will be able to, let's see, we'll probably record midway through November. So I'll be able to give you like a little bit of an update or you can check out Twitter, Facebook, whatever. We're going to give you those, those uh, contacts later and I'll keep people updated there as well. So that's, I think everything that I had before we get into the stories. So should we do it? Let's do it. All right. So why don't you take us away no, why don't you lead us off? Why don't you? Okay, Ian, why don't you read? <laughs> All right. All right. So this month, uh, the story I wrote is called Bleaserville. Bleaserville. Bleaserville, yeah. It's a, just a made-up little town. Fantastic. I'm ready. Yeah. All right, here we go. All right. Peeling scuffed linoleum, dingy plaster walls, yellowed lighting, a greasy countertop littered with bottles of paint thinner, coffee filters, and cold pills. Brown water stains on the ceiling like a creeping cancer. How did I get here in this house? It was easy. I just passed through the walls, immaterial. Slipping in from the coffin is the slang term. It's a tool of the trade, but there's no school for it. No apprenticeship to hone one's skills. You just end up murdered one day and you have a choice. Wander like everyone else looking for your ghost or join Abel's Fold and collect newly murdered souls. Looking for your ghost gets tossed in all the same. The disheveled man standing a few feet from me doesn't know this. His name is Ricky Deeks, and he can't see me unless I want him to. I can see him just fine, though. I could even hear his thoughts and inspect his motivations. I know that the dirt beneath his nails has been there a week, and that his sallow head took a violent jarring from an angry tweaker two days ago. The purple bruising around his right eye still shows. I get a sense of desperation from him. I've been getting hints like that since I strapped into my phantom Camaro and followed him across the pothole-ridden streets of Bleaserville, trailing his rusted van whose rear windows advertise the front for his meth operation in stylized white letters. Elda's psychic tomes. Elda was his mother. I say was because the miserable crone is dead now. She was bludgeoned to death not a half hour ago, crumpled in a heap in the back room behind the cheap beads and tawdry curtains of her fortune-telling shop. I was there amongst the wispy trail of incense that I couldn't smell, standing on the matted oriental rug that I couldn't feel. The veiled lamps were turned down low, but I could still see her killer's face and the way it twisted with dispassionate disgust. Her soul is in my possession now. I'll take it with me when I depart the physical world, but not just yet. This killer isn't finished. His hasty smash and grab really wasn't that at all. He only wanted it to look that way. 
Of course, this was his first time killing, so there was some level of pretense about it. He stuffed the bills from Elda's cash box into his baggy brown hunting jacket like it was the only thing he cared about. He also told himself he was in control. But back to Ricky. Like I said, he's desperate. It's obvious enough the way his shifty eyes bug out, or the way his puffy lower lip tremors, but for all I know, it's the drugs. He just continues to paw away at the stretched out neck of his t-shirt like I'm not there. It's when I step closer and weave my hand into his skull that I find out about all the money he owes Buddy Sam Saner, a local loan shark. Standing there with my invisible grip wrapped around Ricky's cerebral cortex, I let all of his acidic panic wash over me. This is when it's the most real for me. Those shared emotions resonate as if they were my own. I feel his senselessness, his lack of direction. The pitiful, empty bottom drop into nothing. Meaningless. The only thing driving him is the promise of one more hit and another sweaty fistful of cash. You'd think I feel sorry for him in his sad existence, but I don't. There just aren't enough scruples there. Not enough redeeming material in his makeup. The way he used to beat his ex-wife still echoes in his head. I can hear the meaty smack of his fists like it's happening right in front of me. It's the mean streak in him that did it. A lot like Elda's killer. The man who killed Elda had a job to do, but it didn't feel like a job at the time. Something about the violence resonated with his preferences. It clicked like he just met up with an old friend. Swinging the tire iron without a second's thought, without hesitation. He wiped blood splatter from his cheek as if it were perspiration and then went about tidying up. That's the compulsive tendency I see in a lot of them, the real psychopaths. It's their tell, a dead giveaway that shines a searching light into the black and filth of their being. Now he's on the move again with hands crammed into his hunting jacket and ball cap pulled low over his brow, just whistling to himself. Ricky doesn't know his mother is dead yet. I'm not sure how much he'd care even if he did. It would probably be an angry outburst fueled by something rooted in his selfishness more than anything. No true remorse. What's preoccupied him is the money he owes Buddy Sam. So he called one of his regular customers, a guy who's good for a quarter pound of the cold cook. It won't make up for all of what he owes, but it's a start. Everyone has to start somewhere when there's a goal. Take Elda's killer. He's as rough and tumble as they come, but he's got no prospects. No special talents that will allow him to succeed when compared with the rest of the petty criminal element in Bleaserville. He knows this just as well as he knows the burn marks on his face, so he upped his game. He did what the next guy wouldn't took the job to kill Elda, and somewhere under his deep-rooted malaise for anyone he considers privileged is the honesty he reserves for himself only in his weakest moments. It's there that he knows he'll have to do worse if he wants to break into the next level. Ricky would do a bit better for himself if he had some of that drive. The problem is he can't see past the next day. It's all about whatever scratch he can pull together, whatever transient high he can grasp and hope to maintain. He doesn't know how he'll scrape up the rest of what he owes Buddy Sam, and he doesn't care. The only thing that matters right now is his customer and how much he can get him to buy. There's a knock at the door right on time. Ricky heads out of the kitchen and into a short, cramped hallway. He doesn't bother to check the cheap security camera he's got set up to monitor visitors. There's no time. He needs the money. He opens the door and peers into the night at the man standing beneath the weak porch light, but it's not his customer. No, instead it's a man in a baggy brown hunting jacket and a ball cap crammed down over his brow. All Ricky can see is the man's bristly chin and burn marks on his left cheek before the man lashes out at him with a fist. Ricky accepts the jarring blow like the man's fist is made of steel. It's only when he falls back under the dusty floorboards that he realizes he's been punched with a pair of brass knuckles. But by then it's too late. The killer is on top of him before Ricky's stunted mind can react. 
He wants to defend himself. The survival instinct kicks in, but the killer is determined. Hungry, even. Ricky can't match that persistence, and he still can't think past the next day. Not even when he's dragged across the floor and shoved up against the plaster. The viciousness plays out over the next few minutes as one dead is paid and another continues to accrue. This is the wretched human story told so many times before, and it will be someone else's problem come morning. For me, it's just another night in Blazerville. That's it. I'm really excited about this one, and it's because I may know something that the listeners may not, but we're going to get to that after I read mine. How's that sound? Fair enough. Okay. I'm not sure if we... Did we mention the prompt yet this episode? Like, you know what? <laughs> I don't think we did. I think we missed that. <laughs> so it's, the it's, in the, uh, was, it's in the notes, but Let's see. It. So the prompt was... How did I end up in this house? Is that right? Is that verbatim? How did um, I end up here in this I house? I think here. How did I end up here in this house? And again, that was one of those uh, things that just random kind of abstract things that I wrote down in a notebook. I was probably in a character's head at some point, and that was the thought. I wrote it down, but never actually used it anywhere. Well, we're using it now, and I'm damn excited about it. So, Okay. So the, uh, the title of my story is A Future Unseen, and I guess I'll just get started. Billy's eyes opened, and he found himself sprawled out on the floor. He slowly pulled himself to his knees. His right hand went to the back of his head, which was pulsating with a headache unlike anything he had ever felt before. Damn, wonder what I did last night. As he began to regain his focus, confusion grew. He looked down at the orange and brown shag carpet and ran his fingers through the thick pile. It felt dusty and slightly damp. A whiff of his fingers revealed dog hair and smoke, a combination that immediately took him back to his childhood. No, this couldn't be right. He stood and walked over to the fireplace in the corner of the room. Above the mantel was a painting of a winter landscape in a gaudy gold frame, likely bought at the local Kmart. Various family photos were scattered below it in equally unfortunate displays. Just to the left of the fireplace, on the adjacent wall, were the notches marked in the drywall every year to show how much he and his sister Abigail had grown. What the hell is going on? He scanned the living room, and sure enough, everything looked just as he remembered it. The white and brown couch with the hideous blue floral pattern sat directly in the center of the room, opposite of the console television that currently showed Tom chasing Jerry across the screen. A slight smile formed at the corner of Billy's mouth. They had always been Abby's favorite. The smell of waffles hung in the air. His mother had made the best waffles he had ever eaten in his life. She used so much vanilla and cinnamon that we probably should have choked, but for whatever reason, it was a combination that really worked. An unsettling feeling began to grow deep within Billy for the last time that he had smelled his mother's waffles was... Nah, he refused to remember. The actions that he had taken, or more importantly didn't take, on that winter morning have haunted him every day since. He took a deep breath and took a moment of silence with his eyes clenched tight. He opened them and nudged the French shutters that separated the kitchen from the living room. His mother stood at the counter with her back toward him, whistling to herself and using her shoulders to really work the waffle batter over in a large bowl with a wooden spoon. The stainless steel waffle iron sizzled on the counter next to her. Whistle while you work, 
how she loved those damn dwarves. Billy, is that you? She asked without turning around. Go tell your sister that breakfast is almost ready. Abby? He barely got her name out. His mother turned around to face him. Speckles of battered dotted her face and apron. Yeah, that's her name. Tell her she can take a break from practice so she can eat these while they're hot. Billy just stood there, mouth agape, not sure what to say. Abby had been dead for over 20 years. Go on, mush. Don't make me use this. She held up the wooden spoon, which doubles as her favorite torture device for disobedient children. He winced and jumped back as she took a step toward him. Go! He backed out of the doorway, careful not to break eye contact with her. She couldn't possibly be serious. Surely she, of all people, would have clearly remembered the events of that day. Wait a minute. He looked down at his arms and hands, now free of years of wrinkles and imperfections. He moved back toward the fireplace and bent down to look at his reflection in the glass doors of the fireplace. The reflection that looked back at him was not that of a grown man, but of a 12-year-old boy. The nearby plinking of a piano brought him out of his daze, and he began to move toward the sound. As he made his way into the room, he heard his sister's voice. When I was just a little girl, it simply couldn't be. She paused for a moment to find the right keys and continued to sing as she played Will the melody. I be pretty? Will I be rich? Tears began to stream Here's down Billy's face as he watched her silently me. from the doorway. Whatever will be, will be. Her tiny voice was the most the beautiful thing he had ever heard. And up until a few see. moments ago, it was something he accepted he would never hear again a long time ago. She finished and spun around on the piano bench. Billy, I did the whole thing all the way through and didn't make one mistake. She jumped off the bench and ran over to him, throwing her arms around his waist. She looked up at him, her gleaming blue eyes filled with pride. Why are you crying? He started to speak, but nothing came out. He wiped his eyes and took her hands in his as he tried to compose himself. He knelt down to meet her gaze directly. I just missed you so much. She laughed. Miss me? We just watched cartoons together this morning. She laughed again, tossing her head back. You're silly, Billy. Come on, I have to go tell Mom that I did it. She let go of him and took off through the doorway and around the corner at full speed. No, he shouted as he lunged for her. It was too late. Just as he got back to his feet, he heard the crash in the living room. It was just as it had happened all those years ago, and it was happening all over again. He couldn't bear to go out there, but it was as if he no longer had control of his body and was being propelled forward by an unseen force. He turned the corner to see Abby on her knees, tears streaming down her cheeks, his mother towering over her. Her face was so red with anger that it was almost purple. The knuckles of her right hand were white, clenched tightly around the wooden spoon, still dripping with waffle batter. Why can't you ever watch what you're doing? That belonged to my grandmother. He watched as the rage continued to build as veins began to surface on her forehead. Abby was crying so hard she was shuddering, unable to control herself. She was trying to say something, but it was incomprehensible. Stop it, his mother screamed. The wooden spoon began to rise and fall as she continued to yell. I tried to move, but my feet were now glued to the floor. I cried out in frustration, tried to shut my eyes, but it was impossible. I was being forced to watch. I can't believe you did that, you stupid girl. 
The last swing of the spoon cracked Abby on her temple with enough force to splinter it in two. Billy was completely helpless as he watched his sister fall lifelessly to the floor. All the color immediately drained from his mother's face and she dropped to her knees, cradling her daughter's limp body. She looked around the room frantically, her eyes finally locking with his. Call 911! He stood there frozen, still unable to move. What are you waiting for? She shrieked. He continued to just stand there staring. He continued to just stand there staring, unwilling to believe that he was witnessing this moment again. She dropped her head to Abby's chest and began to sob into her pajama top. Abby remained still. Suddenly, as if a switch had been thrown, her sobs turned to laughter. As the laughing got louder, her voice began to drop, and within a few moments it had transformed into a demonic growl. She picked her head up, and the volume of laughter rose to a level that it began to shake the walls. There was fire in her eyes. The invisible shackles that had held him in place were finally removed, and he began to search the room frantically for anything that he could defend himself with. He lunged for the poker that sat next to the fireplace and took a defensive stance across the room from what had once been his mother. Get your damn hands off her. I'm warning you. The laughter was now shaking the house to the point that the photos on the fireplace began to fall, followed by the wall hangs around the room. He could hear glass shattering from the kitchen. Abby now lied at the feet of their mother, who continued to laugh as she followed Billy's every move. What in the hell is this? Why is this happening? How did I end up back in this house? The laughing stopped abruptly and the house shook. The laughing stopped abruptly and the house took a few seconds to settle. Billy's mother stood before him, a jokerish smile growing across her face. What do you mean? This is your home, Billy. Welcome home, Billy. I might do some weird voice effects on my voice today. <laughs> You're like, welcome home, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me just try welcome to Welcome home, Billy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I might use that if you don't mind. <clears throat> I'd have to hear it first. I don't know. Does it well, sound good? Yeah, it sounded pretty good. I'll let you hear it. I'll just Maybe I'll just leave that little banter in there. Um, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> That was awesome. Having no response for such a statement, Billy made a dash toward the front of the house. He ran into the piano room, almost tripping over the bench. He got to the front door, grabbed the knob with both hands, and yanked. The only way to describe the sound that came out of Billy's mouth as he fell backwards was inhuman. The skin in his palms began to bubble and blister. He looked over at the doorknob, which burned red-orange with heat. The laughter began to bellow out of the living room again, and the demonic voice returned. There's no way out, Billy. He pushed himself back up to his feet, almost falling over again in pain as he planted his palms on the carpet. He ran back into the living room and tore open the curtains. He couldn't believe his eyes. Beyond the pane of glass was a wall of pure flames. The rising laughter began to shake the house again and the glass exploded, inviting in an intense wave of heat that showered Billy with glass. Now frantic, he clenched his eyes shut, racking his brain for any childhood memories that could give him a way out. His eyes opened, knowing there was only one way. He ran down the hallway, stepping around the fallen rubble that had once decorated the walls, and slowed as he got to his parents' bedroom. It was the same as it always was. On the bed was a flannel comforter that used to tickle his nose when he slid into the safety of his mother's arms after a nightmare. The rusted metal fan was oscillating in the corner of the room, as it always did, stirring up the smoke embedded in the carpet. In the corner of the room, 
Off the left side of the bed and next to the window was his father's nightstand. Beyond a stash of cigarettes and a stack of Playboys was a revolver. He kept it there for protection. He and his friends used to sneak back there and look at it, among other things, but they were always afraid to touch it. There was no time for fear. He returned to the living room to face his mother for the last time. She had watched her daughter die by her own hand, and now she would watch her son take his own life. She laughed when she saw the gun in his hand. Silly Billy, that'll do you no good down here. That's what you think. He took the gun and placed the barrel under his chin, pointing it at a 45-degree angle toward the back of his skull. See you in hell. Her grin returned. But Billy, you're already in hell. She watched intently as Billy cocked the hammer back and pulled the trigger. His body fell forward and his face met the carpet with a dull thud. He laid to rest just feet beyond the body of his beloved sister. His mother turned and walked back into the kitchen. She began to whistle as she went back to her waffles. Billy's eyes opened and he found himself sprawled out on the floor. He slowly pulled himself to his knees. His right hand went to the back of his head, which was pulsating with a headache unlike anything he had ever felt before. Damn, I wonder what I did last night. And that's the end. Wow, you uh, took another dark turn. You know, I think it's kind of my thing. It is your thing for <laughs> sure. I, I know this, but obviously the listeners are still probably, you know, getting their bearings. Yeah, we'll so, get there. So to speak. We're probably not going to get too much happy-go-lucky shit out of Matt. Probably not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was that. Um, I want to apologize. Um, I should have mentioned this earlier. But I'm a little under the weather as we're recording this. So if there's like some sniffles or some stuff in there that sounds weird, uh, sorry, what can you do? Uh, yeah, so um, you read first. So why don't we uh, why don't we uh, talk about yours first? So um, I think you mentioned in episode zero, episode one, whatever we're going to call it now. I think we should just keep going with zero. It's fine. We'll just skip one. Yeah, it'll be our thing. <laughs> Um, Maybe someday we'll go back and do the the mysterious episode one, right? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Maybe you'll handwrite your story. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, you mentioned in episode zero that you were thinking about maybe bringing some existing characters into your story. Yeah. Uh, and we got and, that. And yeah. Yay. So I, I'll admit it's a little selfish for two reasons. One, I'm, I'm cross-pollinating. I'm hopefully going to get some readers maybe interested in, in this character, but um, it was also selfish in the sense that you didn't have to think too hard with, with, with the prompt, um, you know, cause you can tie it into material you already know. Sure. In, in a sense, Absolutely. obviously, yeah, this is a brand new story. It, it doesn't cover any ground that's been covered per se. In any right. Of the and I'm going to, I'm going to ask novels. you a couple, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about that too. But um, yeah, I was, I was excited. I, um, Everybody, you just met the driver. Um, do, yeah, the, do you, the driver do you, is. Do you want to give him a little uh, background on the driver? Yeah, so the the driver is is the main character in uh, in a series, an ongoing series of the same name, the drive the driver series, and he's he's in a sense, um, I guess he's sort of a of, of a ghost, but not in the traditional sense. He the premise in the series is that. Uh, murder is such a an extreme, disastrous, horrific thing that 
it it separates the soul from the spirit. So, uh, you know, again, taking some liberties and breaking those two concepts into two. Um, and the idea is that people who are murdered end up in this in-between state um, where it's just their soul with no way to get around. You know, so the idea is that the, the soul is the vehicle for the, or the spirit's the vehicle for the soul, and then the physical body is the vehicle for the spirit. So the idea is that the driver and these other these other people in this in between world help build temporary bodies for these kind of lost souls, and you, you have to go off and find your spirit. And the vernacular in the stories is is they just call them ghosts. You have to go find your ghost and you, until you can kind of move on. So um, the driver is able to kind of go in between this world and the physical world and, and, and interact and that kind of thing. And he uh, he's very much a vigilante at heart. Um, you know, kind of has this this overriding sense of justice that he's like that causes him to oh, go ahead. I was going to say not. he's like Batman in a Camaro. Yeah, maybe. So he, I mean, he's very much a loner. Yeah, he's very he's very much a loner. He's brooding. Um, I won't get into the details of why he has a Camaro or how all that works. You guys can read the books to figure that out for yourself. But but the the idea is that he he likes to intervene and 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 meddle where he shouldn't, um, where when he senses that somebody doesn't deserve to die and that kind of thing. But I never do a lot with those characters that maybe do deserve to die, if that makes sense, or maybe the ones that he doesn't, yeah. the ones that he doesn't root for, so to speak. And so this is kind of a a scenario where you see him sort of, you know, carrying out his duty um, without remorse and not not intervening. So I thought you said it was duty. A, well, it's sort of his duty, yeah. <laughs> but I see you're going down the <laughs> the, the potty humor route already. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to let you get away I'm, with it. I'm just going to move right past it. I'm sorry. It is a little late. I'll give you that. So, so let me ask you this. Um, uh, I'm going I'm to put myself out on the spot right here. I'm a terrible friend. I've read the first two uh, books in the Driver series, and I have not read the third. So, any are any of these characters um, in this story other than the Driver like? Out of the book well, is Bleaserville in the in the book or first of all shame on you because the third book according to those who've read it is the best one yet so uh, public shame <laughs> but uh, I deserve it it's you do fine. but uh, in this case no so you know in the not that it, not that you could tell from the story but the in in my head this is um, the next county over so the driver frequents the county that he's from sort of this quasi rural economically depressed sort of area and. Um, obviously, you know, he's not going to be tasked to handle stuff in his place of origin all the time. So this is one county over and I just kind of came up with this little, this little town called, called Bleaserville. Um, which so, so Ricky and everybody, they were brand new like characters, brand new for this, for this. But I, I, I do have, um, the loan shark buddy, Sam, he, uh, he will make an appearance in the next driver book. So I, I actually last, last month plotted out what will be the next driver story. I haven't started writing it yet. Um, I have another work in progress right now, but well, you know, there's a, next... there's a, a month coming up where you could probably write a novel. Well, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not in the cards. I have to finish, uh, polishing and editing what, what I, I started out to do. That's going to be a release next spring, but sometime next year I will start writing the actual driver, the next driver story. And, and the, the buddy Sam character will, will, will be a side a side character in that. So So that gives everybody a bunch of time to go get a head start, read those first three yeah. books and by the time two two novellas and one novel. It, it's by the time you easy. get through those, like the next one will be there before you know it. And you can 
let us know. Yeah. The other, the other thing that I was trying to do with this story and, um, you know, I kind of switched back and forth between Ricky and then this killer who goes unnamed. And I kind of wanted the, re- and I don't know if I succeeded, but my, what my goal was is to have uh, sort of like, hey, it looks like maybe these two characters are going to meet up, but we're not sure yet because they're on sort of different trajectories. And, you know, I, I don't feel like I hinted too much at like maybe their paths would cross, but because I kept going back and forth to them. Yeah. Maybe it was implied that they would. So I, I was trying to keep the reader sort of going back and forth with that or the I listener like rather. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I really enjoyed that. I was, I was super, I was like kind of grinning from the, from the very beginning just because I was like, you know, I knew it was him and we were good. And when you, um, let me see, let me see if I can pull up the verbiage here. Cause I, I, I jotted it down real quick. Um, when he, you, when he, was weaving his hand into his skull. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. I, I absolutely love that. And there was a piece of description that you used that I absolutely loved. And it was when he wiped the blood splatter from his cheek as if it were perspiration. That just like conjured up an image that was like freaking like horrific. <laughs> like loved it. Loved it. Like you give me grief for being dark, but there's some, you got some, you got I, a dark I side. I don't claim Lewis. to write light stuff per <laughs> se, but I feel like I don't go quite as far as you. I, what I, I don't like, I want my stuff to be um, realistic and gritty, but I also never like to be gratuitous either. Um, I like to leave something to the, to the reader's imagination. So you're not sense. into like the groundhog day in hell kind of thing? Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have a dream that I went to hell once. Um, that's a whole nother story, but I, I never, never wrote a story about it. So, gotcha. Well, very cool, and I really, I want everybody to go read the driver books. Like seriously, we'll get, we'll, we'll put links to. Well, should we just link to Ian Lewis Fiction and they can yeah, go from there? That's or? fine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. So. All right. So. What do you think about Billy's? Uh, I, I feel bad for Billy. I mean, obviously he he did something wrong, right, to end up in hell. But um, he seems like a tortured a tortured soul. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't really think about it until um, actually when you brought it up the first time we recorded this podcast. But it was like he um, he himself must have done something pretty pretty terrible uh, to end up in hell. And uh, I I think I might have hinted at it a little bit, like you know, when I said like you know the actions he didn't take that day. So obviously, like. Okay, I never thought he, about that. He he must have not, like, I, I don't know, he must have, like, uh, not, like, thrown his mom under the bus or something like that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Something must have, but obviously, um, yeah, he's he's in a dark, dark place. Yeah, well, so what I, what I thought was interesting was uh, you had a lot of specific details, which I, I always like. I, I like the, the detailed description, but, you know, the uh, the carpet that had the smell of smoke and the, I think you mentioned dog hair and things like that and um, yeah. it, it's it, it felt like you put a lot of thought into laying out his environment and I didn't know if maybe some of that came from your your childhood or some kind of personal experience that kind of thing you know it's it just funny seemed that, it seemed very specific you know it's funny when you said it that so I will say that like the house that he was in was kind of a mashup of um, a, a bunch of homes from like my childhood like I. I can't remember the couch existed, but I don't remember if it was at our house or if it was at my grandmother's house. Um, the orange carpet was at one of our houses. Um, 
when I was writing this story and I had him moving throughout the house, um, I actually ran into some problems and I was getting confused. And I mentioned that I handwrite everything. So I actually drew out the floor plan of the house and labeled everything that where I wanted it to be so that I could make sure that I was kind of getting the continuity right as he moved throughout the house. So you almost did a little bit of, uh, I guess, what the fantasy writers would call world building. Yeah, a little instead bit. Of, a little instead bit. of drawing a map of your uh, your crazy world, you you just drew a floor plan. I drew a floor plan, and it, actually, it's funny because the floor plan did end up looking quite similar to um, like the first house that that I remember as a child. So um, it's interesting. I also I don't know if we mentioned this the first time I recorded, but like there was a few pop culture like references in there. I love to drop like little hints to things <laughs> that I love. Um, so I, did you did you catch catch any of them by any yeah, chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you the, get? The Tom, the Tom and Jerry thing stuck out to me because it it like as a kid for for whatever reason my mom would pick on certain things and like like we watched all kinds of things, but like Tom and Jerry, my mom would not let my brother and I watch when we were little. Too violent? Like, Mom, what? What's that? Was it too violent? Yeah. So well, it wasn't so much the, the violent. It was the she didn't like the way they treated each other. Like she thought they gotcha. like they okay. were being mean. And like I'm like, Mom, it's a cartoon. I I can separate a cartoon from reality. But like she just she, I don't like the way they treat each other. It's not nice. <laughs> so you know, I, it's, it, Tom and Jerry of all things, right? <laughs> it seems like our parents are very similar because do you recall the the television show? Um, you can't. You can't do that on television. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember the yeah. the show. I don't well, really remember much about it. The, the saying went in my house: if they can't do it on television, <laughs> you can't watch it on. television. That's funny. So that's, that's pretty good. You know, it, it has some very similar stuff. There was a couple other things that I kind of hid in there, and if you didn't grab them, I don't know if I'm gonna let them. I, like, I want to see if the readers pick or the the readers, the listeners pick up on them. Um, did you catch anything else? I'm tr- I, I, you know, I didn't take notes. It, it, you know, it's I didn't hard. Want to make too much noise for the mic, but yeah, absolutely, it's hard. It's hard when you're listening. Uh, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to throw them out there, and maybe I'll cut this out, um, and we'll just leave it where it is. But I'll just tell you right now, um, the "get your damn hands off of her" is straight out of Back to the Future. Oh is, yeah, is, yeah, you know, it rung a little familiar to me, and like I get it now. Okay, is George? That's McFly. a great scene I was too. Channeling George McFly. It's such a great scene. The look on his face when he's getting ready to punch Biff, <laughs> and then like Biff's face sort of like changes. Like, what? Wait a minute, what's happening? It's, like, that's classic. It, it, it's classic cinema. It really is. And then the uh, the um, the burning doorknob was uh, Home Alone. Okay, it I didn't make that was, connection per yeah. se, but yeah, but yeah, you know, every once in a while, if I have the ability to do so. I will tweak just a little bit of my favorite things into these stories and try not to make it too obvious. So, so we'll see. Um, yeah, it was, uh, but, the other thing I was going to ask is, um, like, what was your really like your inspiration for the story? Did you just kind of have some material that you already had in your head or was it totally organic? You know, no, it, it just kind of came from the, like when we started talking about this prompt, the first thing that actually popped into my head was I was thinking about writing from the perspective of like an infant in a crib, just kind of look like looking around and, and uh, discovering this, this place that he was in. But then I was like, eh, it's kind of boring. I don't know how I'm able to do it. So, because like, you know, you would think not, not everybody associates like infants with having these complex thoughts, you know? So for, for whatever reason, this just kind of popped into my head and like I wanted him uh, originally he was 
he was just going to end up in his childhood house and it was going to be hell. And I think I was going to have something with like the TV pop on and like his mother talking to him through the TV and there was going to be some shit right there. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know when I was writing, I was like, you know what? Somebody's got to (laughs) die. And so, um, you know, his little sister ended up dying. So, you know, and his mother ended up being an asshole. Oh, the other thing that struck me too is sort of his like admiration for his sister. Because you don't, you don't have a sister, and so I do not. And no, it's I like don't. I was—I don't know if you were like trying to channel like what you thought it would be like to have a sister, or or where that sort of model came from. I I really just don't—I don't have the answer for you. It just kind of spilled out. I'm sure there's some deep, like uh, rooted something in there. It maybe it's like uh, I don't know. I have a daughter, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't—I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's interesting where all it comes from. I mean, so far I, I've, um, well, I guess the first one wasn't really organic in the sense that it came straight out of a dream. But this story that I did was completely organic. I just sat down on it. So I, I have no idea where it came from. Yeah, this this one kind of spilled out. Like I, I just started writing and I would say like within an hour or two, like I had a draft written. Yeah. Handwritten, handwritten. Yeah, mine, mine popped out quick. I did have to do a little bit of research on meth though. Um, well, I mean, you can never do too much research on meth. <laughs> well, I, I don't really, obviously, well, I know it's obvious, but I, I feel like obviously I don't know anything about meth, but, um, I, I, I know nothing about meth. Well, I've so, only seen two episodes of Breaking Bad. So and I haven't I even it. watched that yet, but the, uh, in the beginning of the story, I, you know, the stuff that's on the counter is purportedly what you, some of the common ingredients for making meth. And then, the Oh, gotcha. There was a reference in there, um, you know, that went into the, that trade and that kind of thing. And so. But outside of that, yeah, it just it just kind of flowed. Awesome. Well, I mean, I you hit another home run. That's two episodes, two home runs. Um, I don't know. I think I, I'm I'm really excited about doing this. Like, I really yeah. Really I mean, I, I what I, I'll say that I you know I'm impressed with with what you're putting out in the sense that like you know you haven't really. I mean, you approached me with this idea sometime. Was it earlier this year? Like last? Yeah, it was early end, in the end year. of end of winter, maybe. And yeah, I didn't even know like you were writing or into doing any of that yet. I thought you were still doing the, the video stuff. And yeah. Matt came to me with the idea. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I like the idea quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, but for, for not having written for that long, I mean, you know, I've, I've read stuff from other people that have been writing for years that's it's just not up to snuff. And so, you know, I, th- I, think, I, think, I think you're on a, a, good, a good, uh, good course. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Well, I think we are about over an hour right now. So I think maybe we should probably wrap up yeah, for this probably. episode. So let's go ahead and I'm, what we're going to do there, listener, is dear, dear listener, what we're going to do is we are going to just give you a bunch of ways to get a hold of us, get in touch with us and interact with us. So if you go out to Facebook, you're going to search for a group called P Written Pod. It is the Promptly Written Podcast group. You go, you ask, you join the group. We have polls in there. You can suggest uh, prompts for us to write. And there's currently, there will like when this when you're listening to this, there will be an there will be a a uh, a poll out that will be the prompt that we'll be using for the January episode. So if you want input on the January episode, go to that Facebook group. That's the best place for that we are also on twitter at p written pod um you can get a hold of us there 
there's a contact page on the website, which is promptlywrittenpodcast.com. You can get a hold of us there. Ian, ianlewisfiction.com, right? Yeah, that's the best place. I, I have a, a Facebook page, but it's it's purely for advertising purposes. I'm very much a curmudgeon, philosophically, <laughs> philosophically opposed to social media. It's just not my thing. Um, sorry. Well, <laughs> well, that's all right. We'll break you of that. Um, well, I'll do my best to break you of that. We'll see what we can do. Get, let's get talking to them, people. Um, and then let's see. So you can get me at mattsugarik.com. That is M-A-T-T-S-U-G-E-R-I-K.com. I am at mattsugarik on Twitter and Instagram. Um, don't do a whole lot either there, but come bug me there and make me use it more. Um, let's see. This was episode two. Episode three will drop on Monday, December 3rd. So I don't know. Will we have a Christmas theme? Oh, it's an interesting thought. It depends on what the prompt's going to be. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe there'll be a Christmas theme. Maybe there won't be. Um, if you like what you hear here, what the best thing for you guys to do is to go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell everybody in the world. You know, just let them know that you want to come here. You're going to listen to two guys tell good stories. Um, one of them darker than the other. One. <laughs> um, and I think that's about it. So is that, is that it? That's it. All right, cool. So we will see everybody again in December when the next prompt will be whatever has the most votes on the Facebook poll that has already passed when you listen to this, so you lose. Um, I think what it's going to be is a few seconds might buy us safety. That's what it's looking like. I think that's the leader. So um, as of right now, a few seconds might buy us safety is the next prompt. Um, all right. I think, it, I think we talked enough. Uh, Thanks. Yep. Thank you guys very much, and we will see you next month.